0: Well, as we begin uh, the new year, I don't know if you're like me, I like to spend just a little bit of time kind of reflecting on the, the previous year. I think it's kind of a natural thing to do is reflect on the previous year when you come into a new year. And oftentimes I find myself reflecting on uh, what, what, was, what was good about the previous year, things that I enjoyed, maybe trips or different things and activities that we got to be a part of. And I found myself thinking a lot about our trip to Washington, D.C. I know I've talked about that quite a bit over the last couple of weeks and months, but at, in October, we went to Washington, D.C. and uh, spent time with Abby and her siblings and their spouse. It was just a really good time. But there was one particular day that has stuck in my mind and has it's, it's continued to play over and over again. In the morning, we went to Arlington National Cemetery. And I don't know if you've been there. It's a a beautiful place, a somber place. It's it's a military uh, cemetery. I'm sure you've seen pictures of it. But we went to the changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. There's a tomb there that's dedicated to soldiers who have lost their life in battle, uh, but, ha- but were unidentified, have been unidentified. And so there's a guard that constantly uh, marches back and forth to guard that tomb as a show of respect uh, for those that have lost their lives. And, and it's powerful. I mean, it's the, the soldiers are well-trained, uh, and, and they have to be top-notch, and it's this, this rhythm that is so precise and so perfect. It's 21 paces, one direction, stop, turn, 21 seconds, and then turn the other direction, stop, turn, and then does that for an hour, and then the guard is changed. And then that's when this whole orchestration happens. Two other people come out. There's a guard that inspects the uniform and the weapon of the person that's going to be the new guard, and then they start to walk in tandem. It was just so impressive. While we were there, though, there were some other things that were happening. There was a group of veterans, war veterans, who had flown in, I believe from Illinois, maybe in Iowa, somewhere in the Midwest, uh, and most of them in wheelchairs to see this very thing. So they were seated right across from us where we were sitting. And also there was a wreath-laying ceremony, which I wasn't familiar with at all at the, at the uh, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. So during this change and exchange, uh, Two middle schoolers come out with a wreath escorted by soldiers and they walk out in tandem. Everything is orchestrated perfectly and they lay a wreath in honor of those unknown soldiers and then a bugler comes out and starts playing taps and it was just so perfect and and precise and beautiful and lovely and then I look over and the veterans that are there, most of them are crying which led obviously to me losing it completely and a few of them, remember most were in wheelchairs, a few of them arduously attempted to stand at the playing of taps. I was so thankful and grateful uh, for, for people's sacrifice, for my sake, for how good people can be to each other. It was just a beautiful thing. We left there and drove to the Holocaust Museum. That was our very next stop. And it was horrible to see the magnitude of it. One of the first things, there's a plaque on the wall when you first walk in. And, and this, this kind of phrase is put up there. In 1933, there were more than nine million Jewish people living in Europe. Within less than a decade, most of those countries were invaded, occupied, or annexed by Nazi Germany. Within a dozen years, two out of every three Jews were dead at the hands of Nazis. How, how could we be so good and so bad? I couldn't imagine how this is possible. I mean, how can, can we offer so much? How can people offer so much, yet be so awful at the same time? And the Bible has an answer for this. The Bible says the reason for this is because we're all made in the image of God. That's what the beginning of the Bible tells us. That's kind of right up front, Genesis 1 and 2. We are made in the image of God. And then the rest of the Bible tells us we often choose less than reflecting that image. The good and the bad are both in us. And our good and our bad matter. In this series, we're looking at how we live our lives and how our lives actually impact other people. In this series, really what we're doing is we're looking at how uh, what we do and what we leave undone impacts Jesus' prayer. That God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does what we do impact that prayer? But I want to be clear up front on a couple of really, really important things, and we may come back to them throughout this series that begins the year, but but I need to be really clear up front. This is not a self-help series. This is not behavior management. That's not what we're going to be talking about in this series. There are some behaviors that we will talk about, but this is not a series on self-help or behavior management. This is a Kingdom of God series, because how we live impacts that. Also as we dive into this, it's really important. Uh, and to keep this in focus, and I don't know what your feelings are about God walking into the room. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. Maybe you're still trying to figure out if Jesus is who He said He was. Uh, but but whatever template you're using and your thoughts about who God is walking into this room, Jesus doesn't need your virtues. He gave His life. He gave us His virtues and took on our vices on the cross because right where you are, you are loved beyond what you can imagine. Jesus doesn't need your virtues, but others do. Because we can't stop the kingdom from coming, but we can stay in the way of ourselves and others seeing and and experiencing that kingdom. Or we can live in a way that reflects the character of Jesus, who he was, and draw people in. Our personal lives have big, eternal impacts. It's possible that's the most important thing you need to think of moving into this year. Your actions have big, eternal impacts. So this week we're looking at sloth. We're looking at one of the vices. It's a word often used interchangeably with the word lazy. And the Bible has a lot to say about slothfulness. Proverbs 15 says, the way of the sluggard, that's what you call a slothful person. If you're looking for a word of the year, sluggard might be a good one. I think we should bring it back into fashion. I think it's a great word. The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Proverbs 19 slothfulness casts into a deep sleep. Proverbs 6 Go you aunt, go to the ant, o oh sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. The ant works together with others doing more lifting more weight than it can on its own, like it should be able to on its own. It's diligent. So consider the ant, you you sluggard. Ecclesiastes 10 Through sloth the rafters sag because of idle hands the house Leaks. The image here is a once beautiful home falling into disrepair because of lack of care. I could go on, but simply put, don't be lazy. I mean, that's as simple as it could be said. Don't be lazy. And next week when we look at diligence, the uh, antithetical to sloth, the point will be work hard. Lazy was something that you did not want to be if you're an abbot. Abbots are not lazy people. This is something that we really kind of harp on. Don't be lazy. I have instilled this in my kids because it was passed down to me. I remember my grandparents uh, telling me growing up, you cannot control whether you're the best or the fastest or the smartest, but you can always control if you work the hardest. Lazy was not something you wanted to be if you were an abbot. But look, I get it. Like life moves so fast, it demands so much, especially coming off of uh, the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas things move at kind of rapid pace. There's so many things to get to and and you're probably feeling a sense of uh, a little bit of fatigue. Sometimes putting on a pair of sweatpants and eating a bag of potato chips and watching sports for a week sounds really awesome. (laughs) Like really awesome. (laughs) Because going and going and going, it takes a toll on you. I, I just turned 40 a couple months ago and um, I know that'll surprise a couple people in the room. If you don't know me very well, you're like, I'm not sure that guy looks old enough to make adult decisions. Yeah, but I'm 40. So, uh, so I turned 40 and, uh, and I'm old, right? And you may think, well, 40 is not old. I beg to differ. The year 2000 was 20 years ago. Remember Y2K? Everybody was freaking out. All the computers going to shut down. That was 20 years ago. Right? Gladiator? That movie came out 20 years ago. The Real Slim Shady, Yellow by Coldplay, Bye 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 by NSYNC, 20 years ago. Now I know there are a few people in the room right now It's just settling in, it's just hitting them, you're old too. It's okay. We're here to receive you with grace and love, eventually the dizziness will wear off and we're here to catch you. And the thing I've said about, uh, about being old, about turning 40, this is kind of our new catchphrase in the Abbott household, Abby and I, uh, I can do everything I used to do. I could do everything I could do when I was younger. I could run a 5K, I can play football uh, out in the front yard for, for six or seven hours. Uh, I can do all the things I used to do. It just hurts so bad, all the time everything hurts. If I do that, if I go run the 5k or I play football for six hours with my boys out front, I'm bruised like a peach and I, I gotta shuffle like this for a while because my Achilles are locked up. When did that start happening? Right at 40. That's when it started happening. So I shuffle like this and then eventually it loosens up and I'm like, okay, let's get back at it. So maybe it's like, okay, I'm at this magical time where I just kind of back it down a little bit. I go into neutral. Just shift things down a little bit. I'm getting older. But the reality is We're called to use every bit of what we have, every moment we have, everything we've been blessed with to reflect the character of Jesus in hopes that somebody around us might get a glimpse of it, might experience it, and might be drawn into it. That's what's at stake. So any creeping feeling that maybe I've done enough, maybe I'll just step back and let somebody else take care of it, it's everybody else's turn to, to deal with everything, that should be no more than a fleeting thought. And so, some of you may think, okay, I get it, right? Okay, we, you know, I'm halfway through the service, we got it, we can figure this out, like, don't be lazy do more stuff. New Year, we're entering a new year. Uh, We have this sense that we need to work on some things, improve some things, that's what New Year's resolutions are all about, and I really love this time. I love this time of focus and anticipation and clarity that that comes with this time of year that, that, you know what, maybe I need to to work on some things. But the average person uh, in their New Year's resolution, this has been studied, makes it 16 days. So congratulations on your continued success in the New Year, you have 11 days to go. I'm actually not saying do more stuff. That's actually not what I'm suggesting. And I don't think, again, I don't think New Year's resolutions are, are bad. I actually really like New Year's resolutions, and if we can create patterns that help us stick with those, I think that's a really positive thing. But I'm not suggesting do more stuff because lazy isn't really a good term to use interchangeably with sloth. It's actually too shallow. It's not, it's not, a, a, it's not a great interchangeable term. Uh, Jeff Cook, who wrote this great book, it's called Seven, said this, sloth is not mere laziness. Sloth is indifference. Indifference towards my soul, and my neighbors, and my world, and my God. Netflix addicts, obsessive video game players may be poisoned by sloth, but so are most workaholics. I think that's so powerful. There are things that promise life, but actually draw life from us. And we can be people of deep desire and passion and energy and be slothful because we aren't pursuing what we actually need. And the thing is, as people, we're pretty bad at actually understanding what it is that we need, uh, kind of left to our own devices. Uh, when my son, Joe Lee, my youngest, came home... Uh, he was five years old, he came home from Haiti, we brought him home, and, uh, and and so one of our first things was taking him to Target. We took him to Target to get some clothes and toys and things like that, which is a terrible idea. If you have young kids, don't ever take your kids to Target, uh, because that's a place where they point at things and they say, I want, and they expect to get it, which is a really weird thing, because that doesn't happen anywhere in the universe except Target. And so don't take your kids to Target. So anyway, we got it, the cart is full of clothes and different things for Joe Lee, and we're getting ready to check out and then we get to the the, the counters by the by the checkout, you know those things, those those, Bermuda triangles of of virtue um, where you just like, oh, I need that, and I need this thing, and I need 12 packs of gum because they're BOGO or whatever. You know, it's like you just start buying stuff. And so we're passing by this. We have got a cart full of toys and gifts and things for him to have, and he points at something, and the best he could communicate, he wanted that thing, and he was completely distraught because he couldn't have that one thing even though he had a cart full of things. You know what the one thing was? A DVD copy of Dallas Buyers Club, And he was distraught. He couldn't deal with it. Now, nothing against Matthew McConaughey. I'm sure his performance in that movie was just as good as all those Lincoln commercials. However, that is not what my son needed. He didn't need a copy of Dallas Buyers Club. It was shiny. It was new. He wanted it. He was going after the new thing, this thing that would possibly fill him up, possibly give him what he needed. But we're not very good at understanding what we need on our own. Shiny packaging and offering something new isn't what we need most. Dante called sloth a failure to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and thus sloth is antithetical to what Jesus painted as a heaven-born life. And usually, that failure failure to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. On my part, when I reflect on kind of me, when do I fail to do that, it either comes from lack of vision, either I don't see things clearly, I don't see everything that's going on, like in the case of Dallas Buyers Club on DVD, or uh, lack of vision, or lack of rest. We'll talk more about lack of vision next week. But sloth is less about volume of activity and more focus of heart. And it might be that the antidote to sloth in your life as you enter into this new year isn't do more. It's actually rest well. Jesus, the one we're invited to build our lives around, frame our entire lives around, he rested. Mark chapter 1, one of my favorite chapters in all of the scriptures because there's so much packed into it. It's the very beginning of the account of Jesus' ministry. Mark wants to make it very clear that Jesus got away to connect with God and it was foundational to all the work that he would do subsequent. It's in your bulletin. If you want to take a look at that, or if you have your Bible, you can open it up, or if you have an app, uh, feel free to open that up. But we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus rested for the purpose of connecting with God. And when he's doing that, he's tapping into a rhythm that we're actually made for. Genesis chapter two, prior to the fall, God instills work. Work is a good thing. Work is not a product of the fall, but he also instills rest. God essentially says to Adam and Eve, uh, look, look at creation, it's beautiful. Look at what has been done. Look around, open your eyes, so beautiful. And the relationships that I have created, they're beautiful as well. So let's not miss it. Let's not run too quickly onto the next thing to continue to create more and be more. Let's connect, let's rest. This is though God wrapped his arms around us and says, look at this, look how amazing this is. I'm so glad that you get to be a part of this with me. We, had, uh, we have this chalkboard Uh, Easel. It's in my garage now, but in previous uh, phases of of my kids growing up, it got a lot of use. And I love how my kids used to use it. It Usually when something like this, Eden, who was probably four at the time, uh, our middle daughter, she would uh, go up and kind of pseudo erase whatever was there before, but not kind of get it all the way because you got, you got to get moving. And so she, you know, would kind of sort of erase stuff, and then she would draw, uh, remember she's four, so she would draw some kind of lines that seemed kind of abstract. And then my favorite part was she would turn around and she would go, ta-da, and then we do that parent thing where we're like, I have no idea what it's supposed to be, but great job, oh my goodness, that's so great, look how you used chalk, and it's yellow, and that's so great, right? You do that parent thing, and then uh, my son, who was probably six at the time, would then add to those lines and complete the picture. They would work together. And I just loved it. He was in a, in a house and tree period. You know, Picasso had cubism. Caleb at six had houses and trees. And so he would kind of finish that together and they would work back and forth and they would draw together. It was the connecting and the working together that made it beautiful. That's the picture that's painted for us in resting with God, connecting with God in the very beginning. It's actually the blessing of God giving the law, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. We sometimes think of of God giving the Ten Commandments as this way. It's like, hey, I'm going to give you this standard and you're not going to be able to live up to it, so now I'm going to slap you on the wrist every time you don't live up to it. We think of God that way, but that's not really what the Ten Commandments were at all. God's people had been slaves for 400 years in Egypt. They had no idea what it was to live free, to live good, to reflect God's image anymore. It had all been kind of distilled out of His people, and so He gives them the Ten Commandments as a gift and says this, this is what is good. You want to move toward what is good, this is it. And so he gives it as this gift. And in Deuteronomy chapter five, it says this as one of the 10 commandments, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, set apart for a purpose different from other days. As the Lord, your God has commanded you six days, you shall labor and do all your work. And on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath day to the Lord, your God. On it, you shall not do any work. And then it goes on to list the people that work for you or your animals. They should rest as well because they deserve the rest just like you do. And then, unlike the Exodus account of the Ten Commandments, see the Ten Commandments are both in Exodus and Deuteronomy, but unlike the Exodus account, there's an explanation of why in the Deuteronomy accounts. The only of the Ten Commandments that we actually get an explanation from God why to keep a day of rest, to keep a day separated for connecting with God. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. He said to his people then he says to us now don't forget. I love to co-create with you. I love for you to be a part of what I'm doing in this world. I love you reflecting my character in this world. Don't forget that I'm always with you. But also remember I released you from slavery. I released you from that idea that it's just more, more, more all the time that you somehow have to earn my respect or earn my love. I've already given you my love freely. I've freed you up to show the world what I'm like and to bring good into this world with me. Sabbath isn't about I'm so exhausted, I just gotta stop for a while. That's a vacation. And that's good too, but that's not Sabbath. That's not rest like we need it. It's us connecting with God to remember what is true and what matters. So the antidote to sloth isn't putting more on your calendar, it's resting in God and connecting with His heart so that we can focus our time and our energy on the things that bring Him joy and fill us up, and they're the same things. Rest and work are both parts of God's original plan. They're both good and they're both what we need, in our life. And you take either away and our lives aren't being lived by design. Back to Mark chapter 1. After Jesus left to find a place of quiet and rest to connect with God, don't miss that. After he did that, it continues. Verse 38, Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. I want to go to the nearby towns and I want to preach there also. That's what I've come for. So he traveled all around Galilee. He preached in their synagogues and he drove out demons. A man who had a skin disease came to Jesus. On his knees, he begged Jesus and said, if you're willing to make me clean, you can do it. Jesus became angry, not at the man. That's important. Jesus wasn't mad at the man. He wasn't mad at him for coming to him. He wasn't mad for interrupting him, his flow of traffic. He loved this man. He was mad at the brokenness in this world. Jesus became angry. He reached out his hand. He touched the man. I am willing to do it. Jesus said, be clean. Right away, the disease left the man, and he was clean. Jesus, having connected with the heart of God, goes on to display it by caring for others, and particularly those that are overlooked. He wanted to display what the kingdom he came to bring was all about. This is why it matters so much that we be people who invite others in, particularly those that are overlooked, particularly those that are left out, because it's so in line with the kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring. He could have walked right past that guy on his way to other business, but he stopped, and he paid attention to him, and he cared for him, and he loved him. Jesus connected with the heart of God. And then he lived out the heart of God with intention for the sake of others. The order matters. Galatians 6, 9 says, don't become weary of doing good. The only way that we can do that over time is first connect with the God who is good. And then, and only then, go and do good. It's the only way we can do it over time, guys. The last parable in the Gospel of Matthew is a story uh, where uh, Jesus talks about everybody being separated into two different groups, the sheeps and the goat. And the story goes this way. A king says, uh, come, you who are blessed by my father and take your inheritance into the others. That's one group. And then the other group, he says, depart from me, which is harsh and is so different. And then both groups ask, why are we entering this future that, that, that you have determined for us? Why are some departing from you and some are, are coming near to you? And then the king replies, truly, I tell you, whatever you did or did not do for the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did or did not do for me. That parable, this is the last parable of the gospel of Matthew. It shows us that when we choose to participate in the beautiful world that God is reconstructing, we draw near to God. And when we choose not to participate in that reconstruction by nature, not by punishment, by nature, we are outside. We miss out on what we're made for. But the blessed, the ones that join God in this good reconstruction, recreation, the blessed, they feed the hungry and they clothe the naked and they care for the sick, and they visit the imprisoned. They see human beings, the ones made in the image of God, and they respond. The blessed care about the things that matter to God. They reject sloth, and they don't leave good undone. I told you at the beginning of the service that today marks 10 years of us being a campus. We are a campus because there was a group of people that believed in an idea that it was worth going to people where they are to help them know they matter to God. And you know what we did before that first service 10 years ago? We prayed like crazy. We just got together and prayed, which was probably, honestly, you know, and I shouldn't say this because I'm a pastor, probably the first time that I intentionally for a season said, I'm gonna do nothing but pray because I don't have any answers. Usually I'm the answer guy. I didn't have any answers. I didn't know how it was gonna work out. I didn't know how we were gonna do this. So we just prayed. We got near to God, and what we saw over and over again was his heart for people. The people that don't know his love and his grace deserve to, and so we should sacrifice for their sake. And over these 10 years, hundreds of people have connected in Christ-centered relationships. Dozens of people have taken the step of, of making their faith in Jesus public through baptism. Marriages have been turned around. People that have walked through those doors completely hopeless and lost have found hope and joy and direction in their lives, and they've sat on my couch and I've been able to see it from the front row. God has transformed lives in this place. The pictures on the art wall out there proves it, because people got together and connected with the heart of God and said, we want to reflect that in our world. Sloth tells us that the the heaven-born life the thing that Jesus says he's inviting us into, uh, Sloth says that's dull and and it's unfulfilling and and you shouldn't really pursue it. But the question is, how is apathy on the one hand or fanaticism on the other hand working out for us? Like, how's that working? How is letting, let somebody else deal with it. You know what, I'll just watch from the background. Let somebody else deal with it. How is that doing at healing the world? How is investing every good thing we have, our time and our thought and our energy into our work or into our distractions, how is that helping us feel whole? Sloth isn't just laziness. It's sitting and watching the rafters sag and forgetting how valuable the house is. It's indifference to the things that God cares about and the things that we are made to care about. So... The antidote to sloth isn't putting more on your calendar. It isn't more stuff to do. It's connecting with God and to have your heart brought to life with the things that matter to him. James K.A. Smith says this, you are not what you know, you're what you love. So if you want to resolve to anything this year, and this is what I'll close with, if you want to resolve to anything this year to begin this new year, resolve to connect with God through scripture, through prayer, through community. And I know what you might think, I've tried those things before to start a new year and I'm not that good at it, I last for a little while. It's like those New Year's resolutions, I last a couple of days. Here's my encouragement to you, stick with it. If you miss a meal, you don't go, you know what? I'm done with food, I just can't keep up, forget it. I guess I'll just move on to something else. No, you make up for it at the next meal, right? Don't quit, continue with it because it matters. Prayer, scripture, community. Let him show you what is good. Let him show you what's worth investing in. Rest in who he is and who he tells you you are, because that's what we need. We need it. It's not a, a good thing to add to our already full schedule. We need it. And when we have time, when we take time to actually rest in that way, we come alive to the idea that he might just use us to show others who he is in this world. Don't add more stuff. Rest well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, the beginning of this year. Thank you that as uh, we think so much about where we're headed and uh, where, where you want to lead us, thank you that we have uh, your word to guide us. We have your example to lead us. Jesus, the one that we build our lives around, the one who transforms who we are, rested God, give us uh, the fortitude to rest in a world that says keep going, keep going, keep going. And as we rest, God, don't let it be uh, mere exhaustion or or numbing out. Let us be people that in our rest connect with you that understand a little bit more of who you are through, through, through prayer, through scripture, through community, that we might be able to live your character in this world because what we do with our lives has big eternal impacts. I pray that we would all be passionate about that, that we would catch a vision for that, and that our lives and the lives of the people that you have given us to love will be changed this year because we move into this with great intention. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.